0: Experiment by Maxwell Struthers Burt. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. When she had reached that point of detachment, where she could regard the matter more or less objectively, Mrs. Ennis, recalling memories of an interrupted but lifelong friendship realized that Burnaby's behavior, outrageous or justifiable or whatever you choose to call it, at all events aberrational, was exactly what might have been expected of him, given an occasion when his instincts for liking or disliking had been sufficiently aroused. And, moreover, there was about him always, he remembered, this additional exceptional quality, the rare and fortunate knowledge that socially he was independent. Was not, that is, subject to retaliation. He had led too roving a life to be moved by the threat of unpopularity. A grandfather had bequeathed him a small but unshakable inheritance. As much, therefore, as any one can be in this world, he was a free agent. In the assurance of this, makes a man very brave for either kindness or unkindness, and, of course, extremely dangerous for either good or evil. You will see, after a while, what I am driving at. Meanwhile, without further comment, we can come directly to Mrs. Ennis, where she sat in her living-room, and to the night on which the incident occurred. Mrs. Ennis, small and blonde, and in a white evening gown of satin and silver sequins that made her look like a lovely and fashionable mermaid, sat in her drawing-room and stretched her feet out to the flames of a gentle wood-fire. It was seven o'clock of a late April night, and through an open window to her left came from the little park beyond the house a faint breeze that stirred lazily the curtains and brought to the jonquils, scattered about in numerous metal and crystal bowls, word of their brothers in the dusk without. The room was quiet, save for the hissing of the logs. Remote, delicately lighted, filled with the subtle odor of books and flowers, reminiscent of the suave personalities of those who frequented it. On a diminutive piano in one corner, a large silver frame, holding the photograph of a man in French uniform, caught here and there on its surface, highlights from the shaded wall lamp above. In the shelter of white bookcases, the backs of volumes, in red and tawny and brown, gave the effect of tapestry cunningly woven. Mrs. Ennis stared at the logs and smiled. It was an odd smile, reflective yet anticipatory, amused, absent-minded, barely disturbing the lines of her beautifully mottled red lips. Had any of Mrs. Ennis's enemies, and they were not few in number, seen it, they would have surmised mischief afoot. Had any of her friends, and there were even more of these than enemies, been present, they would have been on the alert for events of interest. It all depended, you see, upon whether you considered a taste for amateur psychology indulged in a wickedness or not. Mrs. Ennis herself would not have given her favourite amusement so stately a name. She was aware merely that she found herself possessed of a great curiosity concerning people, particularly those of forcible and widely different characteristics." and that she liked, whenever possible, to gather them together and then see what would happen. Usually something did happen, that is. With the innocence of a child playing with firecrackers. And it wasn't altogether innocent, either. In her role of the god in the machine, she had been responsible for many things. Several comedies perhaps a tragedy or two. Ordinarily her parties were dull enough, complacent Washington parties, diplomats, long-haired senators from the West, short-bearded senators from the East, sleek young men and women, all of whom sat about discussing grave nonsense concerning a country with which they had utterly lost touch. If ever they had had any but every now and then out of the incalculable shufflings of fate appeared a combination that seemed to offer more excitement to-night such a combination was at hand mrs ennis was contented in the manner of a blithe and beautiful spider burnaby undoubtedly was the principal source of this contentment for he was a young man He wasn't really young, but you always thought of him as young. Of infinite potentialities. Burnaby, just back from some esoteric work in Romania, whether he had gone after the war, and in Washington for the night, and greatly pleased to accept an invitation for dinner. But, essential as he was, Burnaby was only part of the tableau arranged. To meet him, Mrs. Ennis had asked her best for the time being, friend, Mimi de Rochefort. Mary was her right name, and Mimi de Rochefort's best, for the time being, friend, Robert Pollen. Nowadays, Pollen came when Madame de Rochefort came. One expected his presence. He had been a habit in this respect for over six months. In fact, almost from the time Madame de Rochefort She was so young that to call her madame seemed absurdly quaint. Married these five years to a Frenchman, had set foot once more upon her native land. In the meeting of Pollen and Burnaby and Mary Rochefort, Mrs. Ennis foresaw contingencies. Just what these contingencies were likely to be, she did not know. But that an excellent chance for them existed, she had no doubt, even if in the end they proved to be no more than the humor to be extracted from the reflection that a supposedly rational divinity had spent his time creating three people so utterly unalike the gilt clock on the mantelpiece chimed half-past seven the jonquils on the piano shone in the polished mahogany like yellow water-lilies in a pool Into the silence of the room penetrated on noiseless feet, a fresh-coloured man-servant. Despite such days as the present, Mrs. Ennis had a way, irritating to her acquaintances, of obtaining faithful attendance. Even servants seemed to be glad to wait upon her. Her husband, dead these six years, had been unfailingly precise in all matters, save the one of drink. "'Mr. Burnaby!' announced the man-servant. Burnaby strode close on his heels. Mrs. Ennis had arisen and was standing with her back to the fireplace. She had the impression that a current of air followed the entrance of the two men. She remembered now that she had always felt that way with Burnaby. She had always felt as if he were bringing news of pine forests and big, empty countries she had never seen but could dimly imagine. It was very exciting.' Burnaby paused and looked about the room doubtfully. Then he chuckled and came forward. "'I haven't seen anything like this for three years,' he said. Romanian palaces are furnished in the very latest bad taste.' He took Mrs. Ennis's outstretched hand and peered down at her with narrowed eyelids. She received the further impression, an impression she had almost forgotten in the intervening years of height and leanness.' of dark eyes and dark, crisp hair. A vibrant impression, something like a chord of music struck sharply. Unconsciously she let her hand rest in his for a moment. Then she drew it away hastily. He was smiling and talking to her. Rhoda, you ought to begin to look a bit older. You're thirty-six if you're a day. How do you do it? You look like a wise and rather naughty little girl. Hush, said Mrs. Ennis. I wear my hair parted on one side like a debutante to give me a head start on all the knowing and subtle and wicked people I have to put up with. While they're trying to break the ice with an ingenue, I'm sizing them up. (laughs) Burnaby laughed. Well, I'm not so subtle, he said. He sank down into a big chair across the fireplace from her. I'm only awfully glad to be back, and I'm good and simple and amenable and willing to do nearly anything any good American tells me to do. I I love Americans. You won't for very long, Mrs. Ennis assured him dryly, particularly if you stay in Washington more than a day. She was wondering how even for a moment she had been able to forget Burnaby's vividness. No. "'laughed Burnaby. I suppose not. "'But while the mood is on me, don't disillusion me.' "'Mrs. Ennis looked across at him with a smile. "'You'll meet two very attractive people tonight, anyway,' she said. "'Oh, yes,' he leaned forward. "'I had forgotten. Who are they?' "'Mrs. Ennis spread her arms out along the chair. "'There's Mary Rochefort,' she answered. "'And there's Robert Pollan.' who is supposed to be the most alluring man alive. Is it doing him any good? Well, Mrs. Ennis looked up with a laugh. You don't like him? Or perhaps you do? Mrs. Ennis knit her brows and thought. Her blue eyes dark with conjecture. I don't know, she said at length. Sometimes I think I do, and sometimes I think I don't. "'He's very good-looking in a tall, blonde, pliable way, "'and he can be very amusing when he wants to be. "'I don't know.' "'Why not?' "'Mrs. Ennis, wrinkled her nose in the manner "'of one who is being pushed to explanation. "'I'm not so sure,' she confided, "'that I admire professional philanderers as much as I did. "'Although, so long as they leave me alone,' "'Oh, he's that, is he?' "'Mrs. Ennis corrected herself hastily. "'Oh, no,' she protested. "'I shouldn't talk that way, should I? "'Now you'll have an initial prejudice, "'and that isn't fair. "'Only,' she hesitated, "'I rather wish he would confine his talents "'to his own equals "'and not conjure young married women "'at their most vulnerable period.' "'Which is?' "'Just when,' said Mrs. Ennis, "'They're not sure whether they want to fall in love again "'with their own husbands or not.' "'And then she stopped abruptly. "'She was surprised that she had told Burnaby these things, "'even more surprised at the growing incisiveness of her voice. "'She was not accustomed to taking the amatory excursions "'of her friends too much to heart. "'She had a theory that it was none of her business, "'that perhaps some day she might want charity herself.' But now she found herself perceptibly indignant. She wondered if it wasn't Burnaby's presence that was making her so. Sitting across from her, he made her think of directness and dependability and other traits she was accustomed to refer to as primitive virtues. She liked his black, heavily ribbed evening stockings. Somehow they were like him. It made her angry with herself and with Burnaby that she should feel this way, be so moved by primitive virtues. She detested Puritanism greatly and righteously, but so much so that she frequently mistook the most innocent fastidiousness for an unforgivable rigidity. If they once do, she concluded, once do fall in love with their husbands again, they're safe, you know, for all time. She looked up and drew in her breath sharply. Burnaby was sitting forward in his chair, staring at her with the curious, far sighted stare she remembered was characteristic of him when his interest was suddenly and thoroughly aroused. It was as if he were looking through the person to whom he was talking to some horizon beyond. It was a trifle uncanny, unless you were accustomed to the trick. What's the matter? she asked she had the feeling that back of her, someone she could not see was standing burnaby smiled nothing he said he sank back into his chair that's an odd name the name of this alluring fellow of yours isn't it what did you say it was pollen yes yeah. robert pollen why do you know him no Burnaby shook his head. He leaned over and lit a cigarette. You don't mind, do you? He asked. He raised his eyes. So he's conjuring this Madame de Rochefort, is he? He concluded. Mrs. Innes flushed. I never said anything of the kind, she protested. It's none of our business anyway. Burnaby smiled calmly. I quite agree with you, he said. I imagine that a Frenchwoman married for a while is much better... "'able to conduct her life in this respect "'than even the most experienced of us. "'She isn't French,' said Mrs. Ennis. She, "'She's American. "'She's only been married five years. "'She's just a child. twenty six. "'Oh,' ejaculated Burnley, "'one of those hard-faced children. "'I understand Newport, Palm Beach, cocktails.' "'His voice was cut across "'by Mrs. Ennis's indignant retort.' "'You don't in the least,' she said. "'She's not one of those hard-faced children. "'She's lovely, and I've come to the conclusion that she's pathetic. "'I'm beginning to rather hate this man, Pollen. "'Back of it all are subtleties of personality difficult to fathom. "'You should know Blaise Rochefort. "'I imagine a woman going about things the wrong way could break her heart on him, "'like waves on a crystal rock. "'I think it's been a question of fire meeting crystal.' And when it finds that the crystal is difficult to warm, turning back upon itself, I said waves, didn't I? Well, I don't care if my metaphors are mixed. It's tragic anyhow. And the principal tragedy is that Blaise Rochefort isn't really cold. At least I don't think he would be if properly approached. He is merely beautifully lucid and intelligent and exacting in a way no American understands. At least of all, a petted girl who has no family and who is very rich. He expects, you see, an equal lucidity from his wife. He's not to be won over by the fumbling and rather selfish and pretty little tricks that are all most of us know. But, "'Mary, I think, would have learned if she had only held on. "'Now I'm afraid she's losing heart. "'Hard-faced child!' (laughs) "'Mrs. Ennis grew indignant again. "'Be careful, my friend. "'Even you might find her dangerously pathetic.' "'Burnaby's eyes were placidly amused. "'Oh, thanks,' he observed. "'You've told me all I wanted to know.' "'Mrs. Ennis waved toward the piano.' "'There's Blaise Rochefort's photograph,' she retorted in tones of good-humoured exasperation. "'Go over. Look at it.' "'I will.' Burnaby's black shoulders, bent above the photograph, were for a moment the object of a pensive regard. Mrs. Ennis sighed. "'Your presence makes me puritanical,' she observed. "'I have always felt... THAT THE BEST WAY FOR ANYONE TO GET OVER POLLENS WAS TO GO THROUGH WITH THEM AND FORGET THEM. BRINGOBY SPOKE WITHOUT TURNING HIS HEAD. HE'S GOOD-LOOKING. VERY. REAL MAN. DECIDEDLY VERY BRAVE AND VERY CULTIVATED. HE WAXES HIS MUSTACHE. YES, EVEN BRAVE MEN DO THAT OCCASIONALLY. "'I should think,' said Burnaby, thoughtfully, putting the photograph down, "'that he might be worth a woman's hanging on to.' Mrs. Ennis got up, crossed over to the piano, and leaned an elbow upon it, resting her cheek in the palm of her upturned hand, and smiling at Burnaby. "'Don't let's be so serious,' she said. "'What business is it of ours?' She turned her head away and began to play with the pedals of a nearby jonquil. Spring is a restless time, isn't it? It seemed to her that the most curious little silence followed this speech of hers, and yet she knew that in actual time it was nothing, and felt that it existed probably only in her own heart. She heard the clock on the mantelpiece across the room ticking. Far off, the rattle of a taxicab. The air coming through the open window bore the damp, stirring smell of early grass. "'Madame de Rochefort and Mr. Pollen,' announced the voice. Mrs. Ennis had once said that her young friend, Mimi de Rochefort, responded to night more brilliantly than any other woman she knew. The description was apt. Possibly by day there was a pallor too lifeless. A nose a trifle too short and arrogant, lips possibly too full, but by night these discrepancies blended into something very near perfection, and back of them as well was a delicate illumination as of lanterns hung in trees beneath stars an illumination due to youth and to very large dark eyes and to dark soft hair and red lips. Nor with this beauty went any of the coolness or abrupt languor with which the modern young hide their eagerness. Mary Rochefort was quite simple beneath her habitual reserve, frank and appealing, and even humorous at times, as if startled out of her usual mood of reflective quiet by some bit of wit slowly apprehended too good to be overlooked. Mrs. Ennis watched with a sidelong glance the effect of her entrance upon Burnaby. Madame de Rochefort, how absurd to call this white, tall, slim child Madame. She admired rather enviously the gown of shimmering dark blue, the impeccability of adolescence. Over the girl's white shoulder, too much displayed, Pollen peered at Burnaby with a vague, hostile smile of the guest not yet introduced to a guest of similar sex. Late as usual, he announced. Mimi kept me. His manner was subtly domestic. You're really on the stroke of the clock, said Mrs. Ennis. Madame de Rochefort, Mr. Burnaby, Mr. Pollen. She laughed abruptly as if, a thought had just occurred to her mr burnaby she explained to the girl is the last surviving specimen of the american male he has all the ancient national virtues preserved i suppose because he spends most of his time in alaska or wherever it is i, I particularly wanted you to meet him burnaby flushed and laughed uncertainly i object he began the fresh-colored man-servant entered with a tray of cocktails Madame de Rochefort exclaimed delightedly. I'm so glad, she said. Nowadays one fatigues oneself before dinner by wondering whether there will be anything to drink or not. (laughs) absurd! The careful choice of words, the precision of the young, worldly voice were in amusing contrast to the youthfulness of appearance. Standing before the fireplace in her blue gown, she resembled a tapering lily, Growing from the indigo shadows of a noon orchard. Rhoda'll have cocktails when there aren't any left in the country," said Pollen. "Trust Rhoda," Mary Roseford laughed. "I always do," she said, with reservations. And she turned to Burnaby. "Where are you just back from?" she asked. "I understand you're always just back from some place." "We're on the verge of going." Yeah, "Usually on the verge," answered Burnaby. He looked at her deliberately, a smile in his dark eyes. Then he looked at Pollen. Where were you, the war? Yes, by way of Romania, in the end. The war! Mary Rochefort's lips became petulant. One noticed for the first time the possibility of considerable petulance back of the shining self-control. How sick of it I grew! All of us living over there... I'D LIKE TO SLEEP FOR A THOUSAND YEARS IN A FIELD FILLED WITH DAFFODILS. Well, they are PLENTY SCATTERED ABOUT THIS ROOM, OBSERVED Pollen. WHY DON'T YOU START NOW? THE FRESH-COLORED MAN SERVANT ANNOUNCED DINNER. SHALL WE GO DOWN? SAID MRS. Ennis. THEY LEFT THE LITTLE DRAWING-ROOM, WITH ITS JONQUILS AND WARM SHADOWS, AND WENT ALONG A SHORT HALL, AND THEN DOWN THREE STEPS AND ACROSS A LANDING, To the dining room beyond. It, like the drawing room, was small, white-panelled to the ceiling, with a few rich prints of Constable landscapes on the walls, and velvet-dark sideboards and tables that caught the light of the candles. In the centre was a table of snowy drapery and silver and red roses. Mrs. Ennis sank into her chair and looked about her with content. She loved small dinners, beautifully thought out, and even more she loved them when, as on this night, they were composed of people who interested her. She stole a glance at Burnaby. How clean and brown and alert he was. The white tablecloth accentuated his look of fitness and muscular control. What an amusing contrast he presented to the rather languid, gesturing pollen— who sat opposite him. And yet Pollen was considerable of a man in his own way, very conquering in the affairs of life, immensely clever in his profession of architecture. Famous, Mrs. Ennis had heard. But Mrs. Ennis, despite her feminine approval of success, couldn't imagine herself being as much interested in him, dangerously interested, as she knew her friend Mary Rochefort to be. How odd! from all the world to pick out a tall, blond, willowy man like Pollen. On the verge of middle age, too. Perhaps it was this very willowiness, this apparent placidity, that made him attractive. This child, Mary Rochefort, quite alone in the world, largely untrained, adrift, imperiously demanding from an imperious husband something to which she had not as yet found the key, might very naturally gravitate toward any one presenting pollen's appearance of security his attitude of complacence in the face of feminine authority but was he complacent mrs ennis had her doubts He was very vain underneath his urbanity there might be an elastic hardness there were moreover at times indications of a rather contemptuous attitude toward a world less highly trained than himself she turned to pollen trying to recollect what for the last few moments he had been saying to her he perceived her more scrutinizing attention and faced toward her from under lowered eyelids he had been watching with a moody furtiveness mary rochefort and burnaby who were oblivious To the other two in the manner of people who are glad they have met mrs ennis found herself annoyed her sense of good manners shocked she had not suspected that pollen could be guilty of such clumsiness she questioned if matters had reached the point where such an attitude on his part would be justifiable under any circumstances at all events her doubts concerning his complacency had been answered It occurred to Mrs. Ennis that her dinner-party was composed of more inflammable material, presented more dramatic possibilities than even she had divined. She embraced pollen with her smile. "'What have you been doing with yourself?' she asked. He lifted long eyebrows and smiled faintly. "'Working very hard,' he said. "'Building behemoths for billionaires?' "'Yes.' And the rest of the time? Rather drearily going about. She surveyed him with wicked innocence. Why don't you fall in love? She suggested. His expression remained unmoved. It is so difficult, he retorted, to find the proper subject. A man of my experience frightens the inexperienced. The experienced frighten me. You mean... "'that I've reached the age "'where the innocence "'no longer possible to me "'seems the only thing "'worthwhile.' "'Mrs. Ennis wrinkled her nose "'daintily. Nonsense,' she observed, "'and helped herself to the dish "'the servant was holding out to her. "'What you have said,' she resumed, "'is the last word of the sentimentalist. "'If I thought you really meant it, "'I would know at once that you were "'very cold and very cruel and rather silly.' "'Oh, thanks!' oh i'm talking more or less abstractly well possibly i am all of those things but you want me to be personal pauline laughed of course doesn't everybody want you to be personal for an instant mrs ennis looked again at burnaby and mary rochefort and the slightly rueful smile stirred in her eyes it was amusing that she who detested large dinners and adored general conversation should at the moment be so engrossed in preventing the very type of conversation she preferred. She returned to Pollen. What a horrid man he really was. Unangled and amorphous and underneath cold. He had a way of framing the women to whom he was talking and then stepping back out of the picture. One felt like a model in all manner of dress and undress. She laughed softly a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Tell me. She held them with eyes of ingratiating sapphire. I've always been interested in finding out just what you are anyway. Far back in pollen's own eyes of golden brown. Little spark slowly burst into flame. It was exactly as if a gnome had lighted a lantern at the back of an unknown cave. Mrs. Ennis inwardly shuddered, but outwardly was gay. How interminably men talked when once they were launched upon that favorite topic themselves. Pollen showed every indication of reaching a point of intellectual intoxication where his voice would become antiphonal. His objective self was taking turns and standing off and admiring his subjective self. And Mrs. Ennis wondered at her own kindness of heart. Why did she permit herself to suffer so for her friends? In the present instance, a friend who would probably, rather the contrary, by no means thank her for her pains she wanted to talk to burnaby she was missing most of his visit she wanted to talk to burnaby so greatly that the thought made her cheeks burn faintly she began to hate pollen mary Rochfort's cool young voice broke the spell you told me she said accusingly that this man this mr burnaby has all the primitive virtues he is the wickedest man i have ever met good gracious said mrs ennis the very wickedest Pollen's mouth twisted under his moustache. "'I wouldn't have suspected it,' he observed. "'Surveying Burnaby with ironic amusement, "'there was just a hint of hidden condescension in his voice. "'Burnaby's eyes drifted past him "'with a look of quiet speculation in their depths "'before he smiled at Mrs. Ennis. "'Rumania has changed you!' she exclaimed. "'He chuckled. "'Not in the least!' I was simply trying to prove to madame de rochefort that hot-bloodedness coolly conceived is the only possible road to success like most innately moral people she believed just the opposite in cool-bloodedness hotly conceived i moral said mary rochefort as if the thought had not occurred to her before why of course said Burnaby. It's a question of attitude not of actual performance the most moral man i ever knew was a habitual drunkard his life was spent between debauch and disgust not of course and i'm implying that with you well tell us what you mean in the first place commanded mrs ennis something said burnaby slowly totally un-american in short whole-heartedness he clasped his sinewy brown hands on the tablecloth i mean he continued if after do thought never forget the do thought you believe it to be the best thing to do to elope with another man's wife elope only don't look back in the same way if you decide to become after much question an ironmonger be an ironmonger love passionately what you've chosen in other words life's like fox hunting choose your line choose it slowly and carefully and then follow it hell for leather you see the trouble with americans is that they are the greatest waters of cake after they've eaten it the world has ever seen our blood isn't half as mixed as our point of view we want to be good and we want to be bad. We want to be a dozen utterly incompatible things all at the same time. Of course all human beings are that way, but other human beings make their choices and then try to eradicate the incompatibilities. The only whole-hearted people we possess are our businessmen, and even they, once they succeed, usually spoil the picture by astounding open scandals with chorus girls. "'Mrs. Ennis shook her head with amused bewilderment. "'Do you mean,' she asked, "'that a man or woman can have only one thing in his or her life?' "'Only one very outwardly important thing, publicly,' retorted Burnaby. "'You may be a very great banker, with a very great background as a husband. "'But you can't be a very great banker, "'and at the same time what is known as a very great lover.' In Europe, where they arrange their lives better, one chooses either banking or loving. He smiled with frank good humour at Pollen. The first time, Mrs Ennis reflected, he had done so that night. A suspicion that Burnaby was not altogether ingenuous crossed her mind. But why wasn't he? You're a man, Pollen, he said. Tell them it's true. Pollen. Absorbed, apparently, in thoughts of his own, stammered slightly. Why, why, yes, he agreed hastily. Mrs. Ennis sighed ruefully and looked at Burnaby with large, humorously reproachful eyes. You've changed, she observed, or else you're not saying but half of what you really think, and part of it you don't think at all. Oh, yes, laughed Burnaby. You misunderstand me. He picked up a fork and tapped the tablecloth with it thoughtfully. Then he raised his head. I was thinking of a story, I might tell you, he said. But on second thoughts, I I don't think I will. Don't be foolish, admonished Mrs. Ennis. Your stories are always interesting. First, finish your dessert. Pollen smiled languidly. Yes, he commented. Go on. It's interesting, decidedly. I thought people had given up this sort of conversation long ago. For the third time, Burnaby turned slowly toward him, only now his eyes, instead of resting upon the bland countenance for a fraction of a second, surveyed it lingeringly with the detached, absent-minded stare Mrs. Ennis remembered so well. Perhaps I will tell it, after all, he said, in the manner of a man who has definitely changed his mind. Would you like to hear it? he asked, turning to Mary Rochefort. "'Certainly!' she laughed. "'Is it very immoral?' "'Extremely!' Vouchsafed Burnaby. "'From the accepted point of view?' "'Tell it in the other room,' suggested Mrs. Ennis. "'We'll sit before the fire and tell ghost stories.' There was a trace of grimness in Burnaby's answering smile. "'Curiously enough, it is a ghost story,' he said. "'They had arisen to their feet.' above the candles their heads and shoulders were indistinct for a moment mrs ennis hesitated and looked at burnaby with a new bewilderment in her eyes if it's very immoral interposed pollen i'm certain to like it burnaby bowed to him with a curious old-fashioned courtesy i'm sure he observed it will interest you immensely mrs ennis suddenly stared through the soft obscurity good gracious she said to herself what is he up to in a little drawing-room to which they returned the jonquils seemed to have received fresh vigour from their hour of loneliness their shining gold possessed the shadows mary rosefort paused by the open window and peered into the perfumed night "'How ridiculously young the world gets every spring,' she said. "'Mrs. Ennis arranged herself before the fire. "'Now,' she said to Burnaby, "'you sit directly opposite, and you,' she indicated, "'pollen, sit here, and Mimi, you there.' "'So,' she nodded to Burnaby, "'Begin!' And "'He laughed deprecatingly. You "'Make it pretentious,' he objected. "'It isn't much of a story. "'It's, it's really only a parable.' Is going to be a moral story after all," injected Mrs. Anna's triumphantly. Burnaby chuckled and puffed at his cigarette. "Well," he said finally, "it's about a fellow named Macintosh." Pollen, drowsily smoking a cigar, suddenly stirred uneasily. "Who?" he asked, leaning forward. "Macintosh, James Macintosh. What are you looking for? An ashtray here. Here's one." Burnaby passed it over. "Thanks." said Pollan, relaxing. Yes, go go on. Burnaby resumed his narrative calmly. I knew him. Macintosh, that is. Fifteen, no, it was fourteen years ago, in Arizona, when I was ranching there, and for the next three years I saw him constantly. He had a place ten miles down the river from me. He was about four years older than I was. A tall, slim, sandy-haired, freckled fellow preternaturally quiet a trusty if there ever was one unlike most preternaturally quiet people however it wasn't dullness that made him that way he wasn't dull a bit stir him up on anything and you found that he had thought about it a lot but he never told me anything about himself until i had known him almost two years and then it came out quite accidentally when i we were on a spring round-up when the two of us were sitting up by the fire smoking and staring at the desert stars all the rest were asleep burnaby paused is this boring you he asked no oh no said mrs ennis she was watching intently Pollen's half-averted face burnaby threw away his cigarette at first he said it seemed to me like the most ordinary of stories the usual fixed idea that the rejected lover carries around with him for a year or so until he forgets it the idea that the girl will regret her choice and one day kick over the traces and hunt him up but it wasn't the ordinary story not by a long shot you'll see it seems he had fallen in love with a girl had been in love with her for years before he had left the east a very young girl, nineteen, and of an aspiring family. The family, naturally, didn't look upon him with any favour whatsoever. He was poor, and he didn't show the slightest inclination to engage in any of the pursuits they considered proper to the ambitions of a worthy young man. Rather a dreamer, I imagine, until he had found the thing he wanted to do. Not a very impressive figure in the eyes of white-spatted fatherhood. Moreover, he himself was shy about trying to marry a rich girl while she was still so young. She was brought up all wrong, he said. What could you expect? Life will have to teach her. She will have to get over her idea, as one gets over the measles, that money and houses and possessions are the main things. But he knew she would get over it he was sure that at the bottom of her heart was a well of honesty and directness some day he said she'll be out here apparently the upshot of the matter was that he went to the girl and told her all these ideas of his quit came west left the road open to the other man oh yes there there was another man of course one thoroughly approved of by the family quaint wasn't it perhaps a little overly judicial but then that was his way slow moving and sure he saw the girl at dusk in the garden of her family's country place near a sundial or some other appropriately romantic spot she kissed him nobly on the forehead i suppose the young girl gestured and told him she wasn't worthy of him and to forget her oh, oh no i won't he said not for a minute And in five years or ten, you'll come to me. You'll find out. And then he added something else. Whenever things have reached their limit, he said, think of me with all your might and think hard. There's something in that sort of stuff, you know, where two people love each other. Think hard. And then he went away. A log snapped and fell with a soft thud to the ashes beneath. Burnaby was silent for a moment, staring at the fire. When he spoke again, it was with a slow precision, as if he were trying with extreme care to find the right words. You see, he said, he had an added foundation for his faith, perhaps as the main foundation for it, his knowledge of the other man's character, the character of the man the girl married. It was. He spoke more hastily, and suddenly raising his head, looked at Mary Rochefort, who sunk back in her chair, was gazing straight ahead of her. An especial kind of character. I must dwell on it for a moment, and you must mark well what I say, for on it my parable largely depends. It was a character of the sort that to any but an odalisk means eventual shame to any woman of pride, you understand, eventually of necessity, a broken heart. It was a queer character, but not uncommon, outwardly very attractive. McIntosh described it succinctly, shortly, as we sat there by the fire. He spoke between his teeth. The faint wind stirring the desert sand sounded rather like his voice. Burnaby paused again. "'and reached over for a cigarette "'and lit it deliberately. "'He was a man,' he continued, "'who apparently had the faculty "'of making most women love him, "'and in the end the faculty "'of making all women hate him. "'I imagine to have known him very well "'would have been to leave one "'with a mental shudder, "'such as follows the touching "'of an angloform material, "'snake-like texture.' It would leave one ashamed and broken, for fundamentally he was contemptuous of the dignity of personality, particularly of the personalities of women. He was a collector, you understand, a collector of beauty in women and incidents, amorous incidents. He carried into his personal relationships the cold objectiveness of the artist. But he wasn't a very great artist, or he wouldn't have done so. He would have had the discrimination to control the artist's greatest peril. It's a flame, this cold objectiveness, but a flame so powerful that it must be properly shaded for intimate use. Otherwise it kills like violet rays. Women wore out their hearts on him, not like waves breaking on a crystal rock, but like rain breaking into a gutter. Good Lord! murmured mrs ennis involuntarily burnaby caught her exclamation bad wasn't it he smiled but remember i'm only repeating what mackintosh told me well there he was mackintosh hard at work all day trying to build himself up a ranch and he was succeeding too and at night sitting on his porch smoking and listening to the river and apparently expecting every moment the girl to appear It was rather eerie. He had such a convincing way. He was himself so convinced. You half expected yourself to see her come around the corner of the log house in the moonlight. There was about it all the impression that here was something that had a touch of the inevitability of the Greek idea of fate. Something more arranged than the usual course of human events meanwhile back in the east was the girl learning something about life he interrupted himself want a cigarette he said to pollen here they are he handed over the box what is it a match wait wait a moment i'll strike it for you keep the end of the thing steady will you all right he resumed the thread of his narrative in four years she had learned a lot he said She had become apparently almost a woman. On a certain hot evening in July, about seven o'clock, I imagine, she became one entirely, at least for the moment, and at least her sort of woman. I'm not defending what she did, remember. I'm simply saying that she did it. It was very hot, even now when dusk was approaching and the girl had been feeling rather ill all day feverish she had not been able to get away to her country place as yet into the semi-darkness of the room where she was came her husband that night she had determined as women will upon a final test she knew where he expected to dine she asked him if he would dine with her i can't he said i'm sorry possibly nothing immediate would have happened had he not added an unspeakable flourish to his portrait he reached out his arm and drew the girl to him and tried to kiss her condescendingly but i suppose his hands found her in her clinging gown soft to their touch at all events they tightened upon her in an unmistakable way and she pulled herself away let me pass she said you you, you. <laughs> She could think of no words to suit him. You see, she understood him completely now. He was a collector. But a collector so despicable that he was even unwilling to trade one article for another. He wanted to keep on his shelves, as it were, all the accumulation of his life and take down from time to time whatever part of it suited his sudden fancy. The girl went up to her own room, very carefully not knowing precisely what she did changed into a black street dress and removed all marks of identification her eyes swam with feverishness and while she was dressing she bathed in hot water her arms where her husband's hands had been she concluded that it was not what he had done had constantly done but what he was that made life unbearable when she was through she went downstairs and out the front door and walked slowly toward the center of the town and the railway station and is that all asked mary Rocheford after a while oh no said burnaby it's only the beginning mackintosh was in the hills beyond his ranch hunting horses he was camped in a little valley by himself "'On this particular day he'd been out since sun-up "'and did not get back until just about dusk. "'He picketed the horse he had been riding, "'built a small fire, began to cook his supper. "'All around him, brooding and unreal, "'was the light you get in high mountain places. "'The fire shone like a tiny ruby set in topaz. "'Macintosh raised his head, saw a woman.' "'coming out of the spur of aspen trees across the creek from him. "'He wasn't surprised. "'He knew right away who it was. "'He knew it was the girl. "'He watched her for a moment, "'and then he went over to her "'and took her hand and led her to the fire. "'They didn't speak at all. "'And you mean,' asked Mrs. Ennis, "'that she did that?' That she came all the way out to him like that? No, retorted Burnaby. Of course not. How could she? She wasn't even sure where he was living. At the moment, she was in a hospital out of her head. You see, I didn't know whether to believe Mackintosh or not when he said he saw her that night. Although I am sure he believed he did. And such things are beyond human proof, but What I do know is that he came straight down from the hills, boarded a train, and went east and found the girl. And after a while, came back with her. He looked at the fire. They were the most completely happy people I've ever seen, he continued. They were so calm and determined about themselves. Everything immaterial had been burned away they knew they were playing on the side of fate and so he concluded that's the end of my parable what do you make of it the curtains stirred by the breeze tip tapped softly in the silence the fire hissed gently pollen spoke first but with difficulty as if in the long period of listening on his part his throat had become dry "'It's very interesting,' he said. "'Very, but what's it all about? "'And you certainly don't believe it, do you?' "'Of course I do,' answered Burnaby calmly. "'You should, too. It's true.' Mary Rochfort looked up with an exclamation. "'Gracious!' she said. "'I had no idea it was so late. "'My motor must be waiting.' "'She got to her feet. "'She looked very white, and her eyes were tired.' The translucent quality of the earlier hours was gone. I'm worn out, she explained. I've been going about too much. I must rest. She held her hand out to Mrs. Ennis. Over her shoulder she spoke to Pollen. No, she said, don't bother. I'll take myself home, thanks. I'll see you to your car, he stammered. She turned to Burnaby. Good night, she said. Her voice was lifeless, disinterested her eyes met his for an instant and were withdrawn good-night he said mrs ennis stood by the door for a moment before she walked slowly back to the fireplace from the street outside came the whirring of a motor and the sound of mary rochefort's voice saying good-bye to pollen mrs ennis rested an arm on the mantelpiece and kicked the log thoughtfully with a white slippered foot and then she faced about on burnaby i suppose she said you realize that you have spoiled my party i said burnaby yes you her small charming face was a study in ruefulness and indecision whether to be angry or not and one might almost have imagined a certain amused tenderness as well don't you suppose those people knew of whom you were talking burnaby peering down at her narrowed his eyes and then opened them very wide they couldn't very well have helped it he said could they for you see he paused the girl who came west was mrs Pollen." mrs ennis gasped in the manner of a person who was hearing too much mrs Pollen?" yes you knew he'd been divorced didn't you years ago i'd heard it but forgotten mrs ennis clasped her jewelled hand and you dared "'She demanded to tell his story before him in that way? "'Why not? "'It was rather a complete revenge upon him of fate, wasn't it? "'You see, he couldn't very well give himself away, could he? "'His one chance was to keep quiet.' "'And Burnaby paused and smiled doubtfully at Mrs. Ennis. "'I hope I made his character clear enough,' he said. "'That, after all, was the point of the story. "'How did you know it was pollen?' she asked. And how, anyway, would Mary Rochefort know of whom you were talking? Burnaby grinned. I took a chance, he said. And as to the second, I told Madame de Rochefort at dinner, merely as a coincidence, at least let her think so, that I had once known in the West a Mrs. Pollen with a curious history. "'Perhaps I wouldn't have told it if Pollen hadn't been so witty.' He picked up a silver dish from the mantelpiece and examined it carefully. "'One oughtn't to have such a curious name if one is going to lead a curious life.' "'Ought one?' he asked. He sighed. "'You're right,' he concluded. "'Your friend Mary Roseford is a child.' Mrs. Ennis looked up at him with searching eyes. "'Why don't you stay longer in Washington?' she asked softly just now of course mary Roseford hates you but she won't for long i think she was beginning to have doubts about pollen anyway Burnaby suddenly looked grave and disconcerted oh no he said hastily oh no i must be off tomorrow he laughed my dear rhoda he said you have the quaintest ideas i don't like philandering I'm afraid I have a crude habit of really falling in love. Mrs. Ennis's own eyes were veiled. "'If you're going away so soon, sit down,' she said. "'And stay. You needn't go. "'No, for hours.' "'I must,' he answered. "'I'm off so early.' "'She sighed. "'For years? "'One. "'Perhaps two. His voice became gay and bantering again. My dear Rhoda, he said, I'm extremely sorry if I really spoiled your party, but I don't believe I did. Not altogether, anyhow. Underneath, I think you enjoyed it. He took her small hand in his. He wondered why it was so cold and listless. At the door leading into the hall, he paused and looked back. Oh, he said. There was one thing I forgot to tell you. You see, part of my story wasn't altogether true. Mrs. Pollan, or rather Mrs. McIntosh, left McIntosh after five years or so. She's in the movies. Doing very well, I understand. She would, wouldn't she? Of course she was no good to begin with. But that didn't spoil the point of my story. Did it? Goodbye, Rhoda, my dear. He was gone. Mrs. Ennis did not move until she heard the street door close. She waited even a little longer, following the sound of Burnaby's footsteps as they died away into the night. Finally, she walked over to the piano and, sitting down, raised her hands as if to strike the keys. Instead... She suddenly put both her arms on a little shelf before the music rack and buried her head in them. The curtains tip tapped on the window sill. The room was entirely quiet. End of experiment by Maxwell Struthers Burt read by mystery teacher Michael Everding.